Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. You guys remember Daniel? We were in Daniel before the Christmas holidays, and uh, we're back. Uh, For those that are visiting, thank you so much for being with us. We hope that you have felt a warm welcome. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we try to provide one for you, so look under the chairs in front of you. There should be a copy of God's Word there, and in that uh, copy of God's Word, it's on page 695, 695, Daniel uh, chapter 5. Everything we do here at Grace Baptist is founded on, rooted in, grounded in the Word of God. It's not our thoughts and opinions, as brilliant as those may be. It is uh, the words of God and God alone that we want to present to you each and every uh, Sunday. And so we're back in Daniel, and this morning we're going to be introduced to a new character. We have been introduced to Nebuchadnezzar, and then we have been introduced to Nabonidus, also called Nebuchadnezzar, and now we are going to be introduced to Nabonidus' son, Belshazzar. And this morning we want to look at the first 12 verses. So follow along with me, if you would, as I read Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he had tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, a chain of gold around his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. The days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we want to look at the concept of presumption, presumption, to presume, to believe that we are in charge and things are going to go the way that we want them to, when we want them to, and more biblically speaking, to believe that God is either non-existent or irrelevant, to act in a way that treats God as less than he is. 
Presumption is one of the ways that pride manifests itself. We see a lot of presumption in our society acting in a way that is disrespectful, that is filled with audacity, that is filled with arrogance, to live life as if God does not exist, to live life as if we have all the time in the world, we have no one that we answer to, no one to whom we are accountable, and things can go the way that we want them to when we want them to. There's a great deal of arrogance in presumption, and we're going to see that in Belshazzar this morning. And so first, we need to see the setting of presumption. What is going on here in verse 1? Notice it is a sumptuous feast that is the setting for this presumption. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords. This is huge. There's a thousand people at the very least here. We know, though, that it's not just his lords, it's also his wives and his concubines. So there's quite a large gathering here. It is quite an audacious uh, party and festival. So it is quite sumptuous. Oftentimes, when life is going well, that's when presumption can set in. We can be led to believe that because things are going well now in the way that we sort of define what well means, that that will continue moving forward. And of course, that is grave presumption. It is also an expansive feast, a thousand of his lords, but notice in verses two through four that others are invited, not only his lords, but his wives and his concubines, anyone Who's anyone in the Babylonian kingdom has been called to this feast? This is a riotous party that flaunts self-promotion, flaunts human ingenuity, and God is not invited to this party, but God doesn't need an invitation, and as we're going to see, he is going to show up in short order. But how many in our culture live this way? live this way as though God does not exist, or if he does, he is irrelevant to their daily life. And yet, if we dig a little deeper, how many of us, those that claim to know him and to love him, how many of us have seasons of presumption of our own? Where there's either segments of our life or periods of our life where we live them as if God is not a part of them. And so this feast is set, it is sumptuous and expensive. Notice in the third place, it is a self-promotional feast. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. And it's difficult to translate directly this Aramaic phrase, but it's quite clear that Belshazzar is the star of the show. He is on full display. He is center stage. The spotlights are on him. He's drinking wine in front of everybody. This is not kingly practice, but he wants to make sure that everybody there has their eyes on him. He is the focus. Belshazzar wrongly believes that he is somebody, that he's worthy of adulation and praise. You have to dig a little bit deeper, though, to realize how foolish this actually is, because some of the commentators pointed out Belshazzar's 
could be his grandfather, but two kings ago, Nebuchadnezzar, perhaps Nebuchadnezzar the Great, we might say, whom we met in Daniel's chapter 1 through 3, he's the one that had military campaigns. He's the one that actually conquered uh, Jerusalem and brought back the first round of slaves. He actually has done something worthy of adulation and respect. Belshazzar's father, Nabonidus, he's the one that built the hanging gardens of Babylon for his median wife. He's the one that has done architectural things as well as military things. He actually has something on his resume. Belshazzar's claim to fame is that he can drink. Amazing, man. That's fantastic. How petty and foolish this is. Belshazzar's done a grand total of nothing in his life. And yet he attempts to bring as much adulation and attention towards himself as possible. It is narcissism on full display. It is presumption at its worst and at its finest. I have done nothing, but I can drink. Celebrate me, Belshazzar says. And in due fashion, all of the lords and all of the ladies line up to do so. He is, in his own mind, a very big fish in a very small pond. We know people like this. We've acted this way. Social media is one of the worst examples of this. Keep harping on social media, but it's an unfettered self-promotional engine. That's what it does, what it feeds into. When Facebook was first invented, back before some of you were born, not you in here, I guess, they're all downstairs, but Facebook apparently is for old people now. It's the old people of social media. It did not have a dislike option. All you could do to someone's post was like it. That was the only option. It was just feeding into this sense of self-importance with nothing really to back it up. But worse than this, it is a fatally foolish feast. Not to steal anything from next Sunday, but go, if you would, to the last two verses of chapter 5. Daniel 5.30 says, That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed. Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Interestingly enough, from antiquity, we know the exact date that this chapter took place. These events took place on the evening of October 12, 539 B.C. The Persians had defeated Nabonidus about 50 miles south of the city of Babylon. Many commentators believe that Belshazzar had not yet received word. The Persians then march on the city of Babylon, encircle it in siege. They dam up or they divert the Euphrates River and walk into the city of Babylon. Remember those walls of Babylon? The two chariots could pass each other. They walk in under the walls and take the city of Babylon without shedding any blood. It's a bloodless coup. In one night, Belshazzar is killed. Well, his blood is killed. His blood is shed. He's sitting in his palace with a thousand of his lords and all of his wives and concubines having a party while outside the walls the armies of Persia have encircled the city. This is worse than fiddling while Rome burns. This is foolishness on a level that's tough to put into words, tough to articulate. 
He is acting as though he has all the time in the world that he is worthy of praise and honor and worship and adulation, that he has done great things when in fact he's done nothing, and he is partying as though he has many years left, long live King Belshazzar. And that night will not end before he is executed. This is his last night on earth. Now, if you knew it was your last night on earth, I don't know what activities you might engage in. Maybe you would engage in these activities. But Belshazzar is not engaging in these activities as though it is his last night on earth. He is engaging in these activities as though he has all the time in the world. How presumptuous, how foolish. Notice in verses 2 through 4 the egregiousness of presumption. He's going to ratchet up the presumption to quite a few levels. What does he do after he's tasted the wine? At this point, Belshazzar, despite his propensity for alcohol, is drunk. And what does he do? He calls specifically for the gold and silver vessels that were taken out of the temple in Jerusalem. So when the temple was finally destroyed, all of the vessels were brought back. And some were brought back even in in some of the first... um, captivities, or parts of the captivity. Now, despite the fact that these are foreign um, monarchs, they have some degree of respect for the foreign deities of the nations that they conquer, if nothing else, because of superstition. It was all about risk analysis in the ancient world. If I do enough to the right gods at the right time, maybe they'll shine their favor on me. So the last thing that you wanted to do even towards a deity that you had conquered, so presumably is weaker than your deity, is you want to foolishly disregard and disrespect them. As we were doing our sermon preview, Scott brought up the reality that even uh, when the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant in battle, something that they had no idea that they could do, they had seen the effects of the Ark of the Covenant, so they thought it was actually God in battle. They actually captured the Ark of the Covenant. What do they do with it? They put it in the temple room, the throne room of their god, Dagon. There's high respect given to this object, even though it represents a deity that they have conquered, or the nation that worships the deity that they have conquered. Belshazzar, this is not an on accident. Belshazzar has a number of things at his disposal from conquered nations. This is purposeful. He has heard the stories of Nebuchadnezzar. He knows the dreams. He knows about the idol, the 90-foot idol that was erected on the plains of Dura. He knows about the fiery furnace. He is well aware because it happened to his own father, and Daniel's going to remind him of this later on in chapter 5, of the madness that came on his own father, that God humbled his father for seven years. He's aware of all of these things. And what does he do in his heart of pride and arrogance? What does he do? He says, bring those vessels, the cups of that God, And let's desecrate them in this party. He directly disregards God. Commands the vessels of gold and silver be brought. Let's drink wine out of them. And secondly, he worships false gods. Notice at the end of verse 4, they drank wine out of the cups from the temple of God. From worship to Yahweh, they drank wine out of those goblets and praised instead the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. 
How foolish, how infantile, how arrogant, how presumptuous. Who is this God? Belshazzar is screaming to all in attendance. No one is greater than me, and I'll prove it. I'll drink even more wine out of the cups that were reserved for service to this God. How egregious. And then comes one of my favorite parts of this story, because presumption is abruptly halted. You ever heard the phrase, somebody can see the handwriting on the wall? It means to know ahead of time that something bad's about to happen. And this is where that comes from. This is where we get that phrase in English. The handwriting on the wall happens here. Presumption is abruptly halted in verses 5 through 9. Notice there is deep fear in verses 5 through 6. Immediately, at the height of this immature, insecure display of presumption, the fingers of a human hand appear and write on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. It is well lit. Everyone can see this. And notice what happens when the king sees the hand as it wrote, verse 6. The king's color changed. I don't know if you've ever been so afraid that the blood like sort of drained out of your face. Someone has said that they see someone who's scared, that they have uh, their face is white as a sheet, white as a ghost, that, like the color just drains out of their face. This happened to Belshazzar. His thoughts alarmed him, and then one of my favorite phrases, his limbs gave way. Now, this is a very difficult Aramaic phrase again, but basically means his hips became fluid. Kind of, I think he might have peed himself. I think that that's what this phrase means. He urinated involuntarily. He lost control of his bodily function. He was that scared. I don't know if you've ever been that afraid. That's how scared Belshazzar was. And it says his knees knocked together. The King James is great here. They smoked together. He, he is deeply afraid. Now, this... This only makes even more of an impact when you understand the juxtaposition. Where was Belshazzar not even two seconds ago? He's on top of the world. Everybody, a thousand people are there to celebrate him, plus his wives and his concubines. Everybody's there to give him praise for doing nothing and really being nothing. But anyway, that's, that it's, he's the king, so what are you going to do? So... Everybody's there. He's drinking everybody under the table. The music is, is going. Everything is fantastic in Belshazzar's life. And in an instant, he changes. All of the things that he said that he was are shown to be false in an instant. All of the things he was trusting in show themselves to not be trustworthy in an instant. All of the bravado, all of the arrogance, all of the audacity comes to a crashing halt in an instant because he sees the hand of God. Now in verse 7, there is panic. What does he do? He called loudly to bring in the enchanters. This is not a monarch, someone who is regal and dignified, composed. Yes, could I please have my uh, attendants in? I'd just like to have a chat with him. He is screaming. He is panicking. Bring these guys in. I need to know what has been written on that wall. Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation will be clothed in purple, a sign of royalty. 
chain of gold around his neck, and be third ruler in the kingdom, which again shows more evidence that indeed this is Belshazzar, son of Nabonidus. He cannot give them second in charge of the kingdom because it's not his to give, but he can give them third. He's panicking. And notice in the third place, deep helplessness. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. I'm not sure at this point how these guys still have a job. Nebuchadnezzar, I've had a dream. Tell me the dream and its interpretation. We can't do that. Okay, we need Daniel. Okay, Nabonidus, I've had a dream. Tell me the interpretation. Sorry, we can't do that. All right, we need Daniel. These guys come in, and it's written in Aramaic. Presumably, they could read at least the consonants. There were no vowels in Aramaic, similar as there's no vowels in, in ancient Hebrew. But they don't know what it means. Again, I don't know how these guys keep their job. What happens in verse 9? Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His color changes again, and his lords were perplexed. The guy that put off the vibes that he could handle everything and anything has met something and someone that he can't control. And it has impacted him to the very core of his being. He is shown to be not great and grand and glorious. No, he is deeply helpless. The best of the best are rendered useless in this situation. So what is the remedy? The remedy is faith. And not just faith in the sense of I have faith in my faith or I have faith in my abilities or faith that all things will work out. Now we're talking when we're talking about faith, faith in God, trust in God. If you're here this morning and you're living life as though God either doesn't exist or is irrelevant, if you're living life as though you have things under control, if you're living life as though it's all about you, know this, none of those things are true. There is a God and it's not you, and we've learned that as we've looked through Daniel. But we can stand firm in God's sovereignty, as is our title, our theme for these sermons, because of Jesus Christ, it's what we have just sung throughout our liturgy. We're not big enough. We're not smart enough. We're not strong enough. But there is one who is. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he came. And he lived the life that we should live and can't and won't and don't even want to. He lived righteously. And then he went to the cross and died sacrificially. He gives us his righteousness and takes the penalty for our sinfulness on himself. And to prove that he's big enough and strong enough and able enough, he rose again to life from the dead that Sunday almost 2,000 years ago, proving in the resurrection that he is who he says he is. He is God over all, King of kings and Lord of lords, and not even death has any hold on him. Sin does not have the final word, and as was read yesterday at Bob's funeral, 1 Corinthians 15, death and sin have no victory over those who believe in God, who is Lord over all and creator of all things. That is where our faith is. Now notice who comes onto the scene, the queen. Now this could be the queen, one of the wives of Belshazzar, and it could either be the first Nebuchadnezzar's widow or that Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, or it could be the queen mother who is the widow of the first Nebuchadnezzar. Whoever this woman is, 
She comes on the scene and notice that firm faith always triumphs over fearful presumption. When someone has audacity and arrogance, mark it down every time they're hiding something. And it's deep fear. The more bombastic, the more they want to share their resume with you, even when you haven't asked, the more that they have that presumption and pride and arrogance, understand this, there is underlying that a deep, deep insecurity and fear. They're trying to compensate and cover for something, but the reality is those that know God, the God of the universe, the one who spoke all things into existence from nothing, do not need to go about promoting themselves. They do not need to go about racked with fear and anxiety and worry. They can live life to his glory and in his goodness because they know that the one with whom they have put their trust in can give them a life abundant in this life and in the life to come. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him all the way to the end. Our God will never leave us nor forsake us. So the queen mother comes in, the queen comes in, and notice five things quickly. Faith, first of all, gives calm. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, now she's not in the banqueting hall, wise woman. But she hears a bit of a commotion coming from the banqueting hall, panic, screams, she understands something's going on, and so she comes in, and what is her message? O king, live forever. Not quite, he's dead that night, but you appreciate the sentiment. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. Calm down. Because of the gospel, there is no situation that a believer in Jesus Christ will face for which there needs to be panic. Perfect love casts out fear of judgment. We can face the end with confidence, with peace, with comfort. We can live each day with strength and wisdom and purpose because we have a relationship with the one who made us and gave that purpose to us. We know who we are and we know what we're supposed to be doing and we know where we're going when this life is over. If we are in Christ, and it ought to give us great calm, I can imagine that even as a believer in God through Christ by the Spirit, if we saw a human hand start writing a message on the back wall of this auditorium, that would cause some consternation. We're all human, after all. But you note Belshazzar's transformation. He goes from king of the world to a scared little boy in the matter of seconds. That degree of panic and helplessness and fear should not be the experience of a believer in the one who has all things under his control. But notice there's three things from verse 11. First of all, faith respects God. There's a man in your kingdom in whom there's the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Now because this is written in Aramaic, and we don't have in that language the same uh, grammatical devices necessarily that we would look for. Because it's written, you have to look for some clues. And you notice in verse 11 that the queen uses the same word three times. Did you catch it? Father. The days of your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, all right, just in case he hadn't gotten it, 
What is she not even subtly implying? What is the message from that repetition of bringing to mind, to Belshazzar's mind, the reality of his father, Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar before him? What was the point of that? These men respected Yahweh. Not always, <laughs> but they learned from their interactions with Yahweh to respect him. These men would never have brought the gold and silver cups and vessels from the temple of God and used them to drink wine. These men had respect for God and respect for his servants. How, do, how does it go from Daniel, who interprets a dream for Nebuchadnezzar, interprets a dream for Nabonidus, who is greatest in the kingdom under the kings, how does he go from that to a, an afterthought, a footnote, when Belshazzar comes on the, on the scene? It's as if Daniel doesn't even exist. Belshazzar's mind. As we're going to see next week, the older Daniel, Daniel's about 80 at this time, he, he's, he's quite fun. We'll, we'll see that next week. But he, he, he's been ignored by Belshazzar. How is that possible? It happens to all of us. We, re, we, we forget so easily. Faith remembers God. Remember that in the days of your father, there was a man who could help you with this. There was a man who walked after God's heart. He was made chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, astrologers. This was someone that you wanted around. There was remembrance and respect, but also honor. This individual was given honor because he had light and understanding and the wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him. To live life as if God is non-existent or irrelevant is a very foolish way to live, a very presumptuous way to live. Belshazzar does not respect God, remember God, or honor God. And the queen brings to mind that that is foolishness on his part. But then lastly, faith trusts God. An excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems was found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. I love this because the queen uses Daniel's Hebrew name twice and only reminds Belshazzar of his Babylonian name. She has respect and remembrance and honor for Daniel, and more than that, Daniel's God. And she says, if you bring this Daniel in, he will be able to tell you the interpretation. She has trust, not in Daniel necessarily, but in God. God has shown himself multiple times to the Babylonian kings that he is faithful and trustworthy. And so it ought to be for those that have faith and trust in Christ, that have a relationship with God through Christ by the Spirit. That's how it ought to be with us. We ought to be marked by humble calm. That there aren't situations that knock us so far off that we can't recover. Yes, we have times of grief and loss and pain and suffering. But through it all, we look to God and say, God is great and God is good. We have a respect for God. We remember God. Why do we need to be here Sunday in and Sunday out? For many reasons, but one of them is so that we don't forget so how could I ever forget what God has done for me and what God means to me very easily? We need to honor God, sing praises to him, read his word back to him, hear his word preached, pray his words back to him. We need to honor God as God in a culture and a society that increasingly does not do that. We need to trust God in all things. If we can trust God with our eternal soul, can we not trust him for everything else? And so our response this morning is, do we live each moment to honor God?
of all people here in Charlottetown and surrounding areas. We ought to be people of the book that live as though God not only exists, but that he is relevant and he is to be honored in every aspect of our lives and how we conduct our business and how we conduct ourselves as students and coworkers and neighbors and in all aspects of life. As Scott is going to point out next Sunday evening, the grandparenting seminar, in one generation, sometimes two, go from honoring God, respecting God, loving God, promoting God, worshiping God, to treating God as if he doesn't exist. That's how quickly it happens. That's what happened in Belshazzar's rule and reign. But God showed up. He reminds us that he is neither irrelevant nor non-existent, but he is the sovereign over the universe. My prayer is, and the prayer of all of us this morning that know him, is that you know him, submit to him this morning. Let us look to him in prayer as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather here and to praise and worship and honor you. Father, there's much to fear in our world, and yet so much of our lives are lived presumptuously, as though we have another day, as though we have more time, as though you and your goodness and your grace, but also your holiness and righteousness do not matter supremely but can be ignored or even denied. There is so much in our culture and in our society that is presumptuous, Father. Partying, living life as if your commands are meaningless and you are worthless. But Father, the reality is you are God on high, God above all, creator of the universe, sustainer thereof. And you allow the individuals who mock your name to take their next breath. How presumptuous, how foolish, how audacious, how arrogant it is to live as if you are not to be honored and worshipped. So Father, help us to share with those around us you and help us to live in a way that honors you each and every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.